it's taking that knowledge and the fact that I can give that to people. I love giving people the skills to be able to make decisions. I never want to direct people to make a certain decision, but I want to give them the tools and the knowledge. I want to educate people. I want them to be able to make good decisions. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 20 of Improv is No Joke podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Today's guest is Lisa Marie Anderson, who's a tax partner in the accounting firm of Morrison Company in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I met Lisa in 2015 at the Oklahoma Society of CPAs annual meeting where I was the keynote speaker and delivered Embrace Your Inner Superhero, which I referred to in episode 19 with Judy Carter. This year, I delivered another keynote speech, Leveraging Your Leadership Through Improvisation at the University of Tulsa Conference of Accountants, which was made possible by Lisa. I got to spend a day and a half with her, which gave me the opportunity to get to know her better. She gave me a quick tour of Tulsa, first by introducing me to the Golden Driller, which is a 75-foot, 43,500-pound statue of an oil worker. It's the fourth tallest statue in the United States. She also introduced me to the best chicken fried steak in the whole wide world at Brothers Hooligans Restaurant. She's a wonderful host and a new friend. We spend the first half of the interview discussing her technical knowledge of taxation and where it intersects with divorce. The second half, we discuss how she got past her fear of public speaking. Because as she says, she got into accounting so she would not have to interact with people. However, she realized that was not a sustainable business model if she wanted to become a partner. Before we get to the interview with Lisa, if you're enjoying my podcast, I would greatly appreciate if you would take five minutes and write an iTunes review. It helps the visibility in the iTunes world to attract a larger audience. And if you're unsure of the steps in writing a review, please visit this episode on my website and look at the show notes for directions. Remember, you can listen to my podcast by downloading the episodes off of my website, which is petermargaritas.com, or on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Also, if you're not signed up for the SN Challenge, please go to my website, petermargaritas.com, and scroll down to the SN Challenge call to action and click to register to begin building the effective habit of yes and and the principles of improvisation. And remember to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag Yes and Challenge. Now, if you're unsure of what the Yes and Challenge is all about, I discuss it in detail in episode zero. So go back and take a listen. All righty then. Without further ado, let's get to the interview with Lisa Marie Anderson. Hey, everybody. Pete Margaritas here, and I'm at the University of Tulsa in the Performing Arts Center. I had a program today, and I'm very honored and lucky to have Lisa Anderson as my guest. And Lisa, you know what? 
I'm going to let Lisa tell you all about herself. So, Lisa, can you, first and foremost, thank you. I greatly appreciate you taking time to be interviewed. Thank you. I am very honored to be interviewed. So, about myself. Yes, tell us about all, who you are. Who who am I? I am Lisa Anderson. And I'm a CPA. I am, first and foremost, though, probably, I am a wife. I am a mom. I have two kids, an almost 18-year-old daughter and almost 15-year-old son. And just on a side note, she's told me some stories while I've been here. They're absolutely amazing kids. Yes, I have to agree. They are pretty amazing. <laughs> they have their moments, but they are pretty amazing. Aside from that, I am, I said, I'm a CPA focusing on tax. I'm also an ABV, which is an accreditation and business valuation through the AICPA, as well as a CFF, which is certified in financial forensics, also another designation through the AICPA. Um, how did I get here? <laughs> that's, well, <laughs> that's, that's the best story possible. How did you get how here? How did I get here? Um, I didn't go far to get here. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, born, raised in Tulsa, went to high school in Tulsa, briefly left Tulsa for a few weeks to attend college outside of Tulsa, came back, got an associate's degree, ended up at the University of Tulsa, then undergrad in accounting, came back right after that, worked on my master's in tax, which, of course, to ask any of my friends, thought I was absolutely crazy because why in the world would anybody want to do tax, let alone have a master's degree in tax? And um, for whatever reason, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Okay. And I went to work at Ernst & Young for five years, primarily because that was one of the firms that would let me go directly into tax without ever having to do audit, which I, to this day, thankfully, have never had to do an audit and <laughs> don't plan to ever do that. And so started my career in tax until I had my daughter, decided I really didn't want to continue with those long, late hours. I went to work for a client as a tax manager, just in corporate tax. A few months into it, decided that was not the life for me. It was very boring. Um, there just wasn't enough, wasn't enough going on. So decided to jump back into the world of public accounting and found, talked to a CPA that was working for a local firm and found it very interesting. She was talking about the fact that they not only did tax work, they didn't do any audit work. They did tax, they did some bookkeeping work, but they also did some fraud and some litigation work, which greatly intrigued me. Found out more about the company, about the firm, interviewed with them, got a job with them, started out doing tax. And one of the partners kind of took me under his wing, started teaching me business valuation. I liked it, decided I needed to know a lot more than what he could teach me. So I um, started working on getting my designation in business valuation. Also decided that would be very smart because we were doing quite a bit of litigation work. And I learned very, very quickly that without some kind of certification or without the mature, older gentleman's silver hair, I had no credibility in court. <laughs> so, unfortunately, that's the truth. <laughs> um, so, decided the old, older man, silver hair was not going to work for me. So, got my certification, gained credibility so I could testify in court, did evaluation work. Um, working in business valuations also led to quite a bit of divorce work because 
a lot of the times people that need business valuations are the people that are getting a divorce. Right. So that led to a lot of divorce work. Um, as I was working more in divorce, um, I took actually the family law mediation course. So I'm actually a qualified family law mediator. I have sat in, in a few mediations, um, nothing too intense. I think one of the most memorable ones was we were discussing who was going to end up with the chickens. Um, it was quite entertaining, <laughs> to okay. say the least. <laughs> How do you value a chicken? <laughs> you know, we, we were just, we were splitting assets. We weren't really putting values on okay. them. We were, we were splitting assets. Okay. I was mediating. Okay. <laughs> And <laughs> um, also was involved in some much higher profile cases, um, divorce cases that lasted two, three, four years through multiple attorneys. Um, also got a taste of what I needed a certification in financial forensics was for. There were quite a few hidden assets, um, a lot of trail chasing, chasing the cash flow between multiple businesses, between multiple people and decided I needed probably a little bit better background than that to be able to do that part of the job better. Okay. So did that. So ended up, at the end of the day, pretty much alphabet soup after my name now, <laughs> CPA, um, MTAX, and ABV, and CFF. I need to start charging by the letter, I think. Um, <laughs> but so stayed at that firm for about eight years. Came a point that I wasn't sure that's where I wanted to be anymore. Took a brief leave. I went into the world of recruiting, um, finding jobs for other accountants, all the while looking for a better job for myself, and made a few moves after that back into public accounting, into tax, looking for just the right fit, even decided to try being out on my own for a little while, decided that really wasn't what I wanted to do either. Um, I actually missed being around people, which is very interesting considering the whole reason I went into accounting (laughs) was because... I didn't think I wanted to interact with people. I was going to be quite content sitting behind my computer screen and never talking to anybody. Uh, turns out I interact with people multiple times on a daily basis from clients to, unfortunately, the IRS quite a bit, <laughs> to peers, to colleagues, to just people in other industries, um, attorneys a lot, and from all that, with my background, with all my work in business valuation and divorce, have ended up being in a position to give presentations to try to educate mainly attorneys on some of the um, finer aspects of tax issues and divorce situations. I'm trying to explain to them maybe things they could do a little bit different. So at the end of the day, they don't have very upset clients when they come to see me with their tax return and learn what went awry in their divorce agreement, things that maybe we they could be doing different. Ultimately, I would love to educate every divorce attorney I can on you know, some of the valuation issues, specifically some of the tax issues in divorce, so maybe we can clear up some of that beforehand. And what's the name of the firm that you're with? Um, currently, I am a partner at Morrison Company, PLLC. Um, we're a three-partner firm in Tulsa. Background, the firm, there's two tax partners, an audit partner, and I specialize in addition to all types of income tax, also the litigation, business valuation, and specifically divorce issues. Okay, so we're going to rewind here for a moment because 
clearly my audience is going, she's an extremely bright individual with all of that behind her. And she's an extreme. And, you know, when I first realized she was an extremely bright individual, she was telling you her background. She started when she went to high school in Tulsa. So that, to me, told me she must have bypassed elementary school and middle school and went right into high school. So when I heard that, I wrote, genius. <laughs> genius. That's it. I skipped all of that straight <laughs> to high school. Okay. No, from day one, <laughs> kindergarten, elementary, middle school, then high, high school. school. Uh, Everything's in Tulsa. And two, for those of you who might be listening to this who is a non-accountant or who's on the audit side of the business uh, and you're thinking about going, stop, I'm going to turn this off, I wouldn't. Um, I've spent the last day with Lisa. I've learned a lot about her. She's got a lot of information, a lot of good information that you just might need. Um, and we'll start, you know, as I've said, marriage is the leading cause of divorce. It's I, That's not my line. I stole that from somebody who I, I don't remember who it is. But, you know, they say 50% of the marriages fail. And I've been married for 30 years, not consecutively. So I've been through a divorce, and I'm sitting here thinking, so when you're dealing with, what information do you want to get out? Because obviously you're going to say, I'm putting on a divorce conference, and your spouse goes, where are you going today? I'm going to a divorce conference, and it's not going to work out really well for that. Exactly. I've I've really, really struggled with how do I market getting my knowledge out to the general public. Of course, getting this information to the attorneys, a little bit easier. I can market to them if it's what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. Hopefully they will search me out or come to a presentation so they can be better educated to better help their clients. Reaching the client base, reaching the public themselves is a little bit more of a struggle because, like you said, who wants to admittedly go to a conference or a presentation on divorce? Of course, you can say, oh, I'm going to learn about this for a friend. Yeah, that doesn't really fly either. <laughs> you know, so how, how do I deal with that? I have done some presentations that are focused on dealing with financial crisis. Okay. Um, looking at, you know, what you need to do beforehand, maybe so you can be better prepared for any kind of financial crisis, whether it be divorce or death, anything or disability in the family, anything that's going to impact your the financial situation. A lot of the things up front that you can plan for are going to be the same in any of those situations. Okay. So it's it's getting that knowledge out. It's getting, it's educating people so they aren't caught blindsided. Now, that being said, there are some issues very specific to divorce that if you don't understand are going to, may come back to bite you at the end of the day when you're doing a divorce settlement, when you're splitting assets, when you're looking at those asset valuations, Something as simple as who's entitled to claim the kids on the tax return. It may seem intuitive. It's not. There's very specific rules. Unfortunately, some of the attorneys, many of the attorneys don't really realize that. And just because something's written in a divorce agreement, that doesn't always trump. Fortunately, the IRS wins many times and you have to follow their rules. And it's unfortunate that a lot of the attorneys either don't know some of this information or don't know to seek out the expertise. I can tell you, I've had people, you know, kind of refrain from reaching out to get that assistance just because of the cost involved. I can tell you at the end of the day, whatever it's going to cost to hire me to look at this up front, to look over a divorce agreement, to sit down and consult with splitting up of the assets, 
is going to be a lot less expensive, possibly, than what you're going to end up spending in taxes at the end of the day because you didn't realize what the tax consequences were going to be. I've more than once seen somebody that thought, you know, because they got a certain asset, they were going to be able to cash out that asset, sell that asset, and have X amount of money, not realizing there were taxes to be paid on that transaction. And they end up with a whole lot less than they thought they would. And of course, then they're screaming, that's not fair. My attorney said, well, sorry, your attorney didn't look and didn't do you justice by looking into what the details were going to be and how that was going to end. Well, you said, you know, it, it, the the overall cost by hiring you for the most part will be less than if they didn't hire you and the, their, their tax bill at the end of the day. So I look at it because I'm trying to you know, change the word cost. An investment in your time could save them money in the long run. Absolutely. Um, just real, real quick story. I had a new client come to me. She had asked their their joint CPA for some advice. She wasn't quite sure that he had given her the right advice on the tax situation. They were they had finalized a divorce, so she got my name from somebody else. Came to me. Um, she had some stock options that she was going to sell as a result of the divorce. She that was the part of the divorce agreement. Whatever that net from selling, whatever that net cash received, half of it was to go to the husband, which was fine, except nobody took into consideration that after she sold that, there would be a tax consequence to that. She ended up owing an additional $22,000 in tax as a result of that transaction that she wouldn't have had the divorce agreement been written a little bit different, things been split a little bit different. And so now she's having to go back to court, incur additional attorney's fees to try to get the money back from the ex-husband to offset that cost of additional 22000 in tax. Wow. That could be, one, <laughs> a lot of time. And yes. two, that money's already spent. <laughs> it, it is. You know, it, she, it came out of her pocket, and it would have been maybe not real simple, but if we could have addressed that up front mm-hmm. and pointed that out, things could have been handled and structured possibly a lot different. Okay. So... Anybody who's listening, who's thinking about or in the middle of divorce, especially if you're in the Tulsa area, you better look up Lisa. Outside of that, you can still find Lisa. I'll have her information on the website, how to contact her. But it's making sure that your attorney and your CPA or your specialized CPA are communicating in a a manner that the divorce decree is, is worded in a way to help both of you to put yourself in a better tax position than without having that advice. Exactly. There are many times I will be hired as a joint consultant so that I am advising both parties in a divorce so they both get the same information, so they're both better educated and understand what the outcome is going to be if they divide assets a certain way or understanding what the true value of an asset is. And like I said, even something as simple as how are we going to file our tax return this year? You know, what filing status do we use? Who gets to claim the exemptions for the kids? Who gets certain tax credits? By moving some exemptions from one parent to the other, sometimes there's some tax credits that get lost. And even though you may be using the CPA, if that CPA is not familiar with some of 
the very specific aspects related to divorce, they're going to miss that. And it's, it may end up costing you additional tax. And I keep going back to who's getting the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there, there is that. There is that in, in, in the splitting of the assets. Um, let's, let's take a different course because okay. in your introduction, you said you got into accounting because you didn't like dealing with people and you wanted to sit behind your desk and look at the computer. Exactly. And then in your background, you say you deal with people a lot. And you're doing presentations. Yes. And we're having this conversation. And we're actually looking each other in the eye versus our shoes because, you know, the introverted accountant from the extroverted accountant. The introverted accountant, when they're talking to you, looks at their shoes. <laughs> the extroverted one looks at your, your shoes. So we're actually nice. making eye contact and stuff. So how did you how did you change that philosophy? How did you change that way of working and realizing that you're in the relationship building business, not so much of a tech, very technical, but it involves building relationships. It was not probably by choice. Um, <laughs> no, just jumped into it. When I started doing the business evaluation work, working with attorneys, which I said led to the divorce work, which led to working with spouses that were going through a divorce and it's amazing how much, especially with sometimes working with women, you become more than just their CPA. You become very involved. And I have been to court just to kind of hold their hand, not for any other reason. But I think it's that intera- it was that interaction, having to interact with people, having to understand people, having to communicate, and in testifying in court, having to take the knowledge I have and break it down for the judge to understand, for a jury to understand, for the parties involved to understand, one to alleviate some of the arguing. Um, As far as the presentations, was I terrified to do it? Yes. Am I still? Yes. But again, it's that I... Yes, and. Yes, and. Yes, and. Yes. There is no but. I am so sorry. Yes, I am still terrified. And I've taken that... No. And I know I have a, I have knowledge and I have a skill set that I want to share with people. If I'm not presenting it, it's not getting out there. So it's worth having that fear initially. Once I get going, I'm fine. But it's worth having that initial terror, more than fear, of getting in front of people. But I know at the end of the day, they walk away better with more knowledge. They walk away better educated. I've given them something. I've given them tools But you also said in our conversation that this terror leading up to it, when you're done, you always say, well, it wasn't that bad. No, it never was that bad. But you're telling yourself, and I I understand that you're telling yourself all the things that could go wrong versus possibly could go right and and, and stuff. Absolutely. So was it practice over time? Did you take any courses, public speaking courses or anything like that to help in your presentation skills, your public speaking, yada, yada, yada? No, the only public speaking course I took was my freshman year in college. And I think I made a B because I didn't want to present. just wanted to write. So they gave you a B for not presenting. Wow, I could have got an A++. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I did present. I just probably did a really, really bad job at it. So you're much more of a writer than a presenter back then. Yes, but you've had to adapt to different situations. Well, I, I look at it. So as your role increased, as your experience increased, it became less 
technical knowledge, but taking that technical lot knowledge and translated it into a language somebody else could understand. And it sounds like you just forced yourself to do it. I did. This, and it started some, also going back to, I guess, school. I love to learn. I love going to school. If I could get paid to go to school, I would. Unfortunately, I can't. So I took a little bit different avenue, and I taught a few undergrad, a few graduate-level online classes. The online classes were okay because there wasn't that interaction, but it was also not having that interaction with people that made it very, very difficult mm. to teach. Yes. It's m- learned very quickly. It's much better having that one-on-one interaction, being able to demonstrate something. Um, took some of what I learned there took it to the next level in developing presentations. And I think by having a PowerPoint presentation, being able to break everything down and knowing that it's something I really truly know very well, it's a very strong knowledge base of mine that I'm explaining. It comes very easy to explain that. Okay. So I'm, I don't have that fear. It's just the fear of being in front of people. But I know that what I'm saying, I know very well. So you're extremely knowledgeable that you're not so much afraid of the way out type of question because you've already pretty much addressed that in some way, shape, or form. So you could go in really without a PowerPoint presentation and say, okay, what questions do you have? And more or less be able to do that type of presentation because of that thorough knowledge. Unless I totally panicked and forgot everything I knew, yes. <laughs> Unless you blacked out because <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't have, the, have the PowerPoint. The other question I had is you said that your husband's in sales. Yes. So he's got the gift of gab in sales. He does. He does. Did, did he try to help you with this or he just said, yeah, okay, have at it? No, because I don't think he really understands what drives me to do it. He knows how much of an introvert I was as, that I truly am. We started dating in high school, so he saw the shy, introverted, mm-hmm. nerdy person that I was, and that I do revert back to that occasionally, but has also seen what ha- that has developed into. Well, yeah, I think there's a time of experience, maturity, that we can push through that shy. I think we all can. I just think it's the ability that we want to do that and get past that. I mean, I was I was very much a very shy individual, and I still at times in social gatherings, well, I'll feel it kick in, and I'll just take it like a step back. It's like, no, 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 just plow through the wall and just, what's the worst thing that, well, I'll just leave that out there. <laughs> there, there are. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the, the, I, I do use my filter much better these days than I did way back in the day, but I've learned a lot through that and I've learned, accepted failure and learned from it just in order to get better. But no, no buts. And it, <laughs> I, I'm I'm still learning. I'm sorry. It's taking that knowledge and the fact that I can give that to people. I love giving people the skills to be able to make decisions. I never want to direct people to make a certain decision, but I want to give them the tools and the knowledge. I want to educate people. I want them to be able to make good decisions. If I can do that through presentations, I would love to. One-on-one, consulting with clients, knowing that I am helping them make better decisions is really what I'm working toward. So I hear a passion. Absolutely. 
and there it is again. <laughs> but I do hear I do hear that passion, and and a lot of times in social settings, a lot of times in public speaking presentation, that passion trumps everything else. That that passion helps fuel that need to share this information because, like you said, you want to help people. You're obviously there's there's a a, a monetary piece to this. But just listen, I don't think that's the main driver. I think that's a component of it. But I think the main driver of it is how much you want to help people and having to avoid unnecessary cost, unnecessary tax, when it could be structured in a way that would protect them at a lower, an investment in you would be a lower cost in tax in the long run. In a nutshell, that's a good summary. That's a good summary. It is. In my mind... That's the ideal partner in any type of firm. It's we're not in a transaction business. We're in a relationship building business. We're you know years we'd always keep that content, that knowledge close to our chest. Anymore, the more that you can share that information, whether it be through public speaking, whether it be through articles, whether it be through newsletters or whatever, and not charge for it, that's an attraction because that helps increase your level of authority. And when you get to that level of authority, people start gravitating. But it takes a lot of time, a lot of energy uh, in order to start gaining traction with that. It does. I would love to say, I know, this is just, this is out there. Everybody knows who I am. And when they have a divorce problem or an IRS problem, they come to me. We're not there yet. But it is gaining traction. I am getting more and more referrals from other clients who have had a divorce situation that now know somebody that are referring clients to me. I'm also getting more and more of a client base um, with people that are struggling with IRS problems, IRS notices for delinquent taxes, IRS notices for taxes they didn't know they owed due to an ex-spouse sometimes, Mm -hmm. IRS issues due to the fact they didn't file tax returns for a number of years. So that is also, it's another smaller niche area that I do quite a bit of work in, which is also stemming somewhat from the divorce arena, because unfortunately in a divorce situation, there's financial issues. One of the spouses maybe isn't quite forthcoming on everything, and there ends up being taxes that weren't paid, things that weren't reported. And now you've got this ex-spouse that is liable for this outstanding tax bill, and and there are ways to handle that. There are ways to relieve that liability sometimes for that spouse. But in doing that, because I guess I'm kind of have a little bit of a reputation for cleaning up IRS tax messes, I also deal with non-divorce related tax issues. But to me, that that's helping, still helping people. It's helping people with a problem, overcome the problem, acknowledging there's a problem and figuring out how to tackle the problem. We don't always make it go away entirely. But we find a solution. Finding a solution, that's that's the key. And 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 it's I like how you worded it earlier to the fact that I'm trying to educate and help them so because you don't direct, but you want to give them enough tools, enough knowledge so when they're in a situation they can make better decisions or at least know I don't remember Lisa talking about this. Let's pick up the phone and give her a call and and, and use you as some type of counsel. I also wrote down in my notes that when you were Going to the uh, uh, the courthouse with a client just to be there to hold their hand or whatever. 
I went, that's a huge amount of empathy that you are helping with your client. And empathy is something that maybe our profession doesn't do enough of, uh, empathizing with the person in the other shoes. I, I, I don't know. The, some people I talk to, it's not part of their vocabulary. And I think those who do, and it's part of their vocabulary, and, and, and building this type of relationship, build stronger relationships with their clients than others who do not, because empathy is huge. I do. I, I try. You do have to find sometimes find that fine line between being there 24-7, but also being available when they need it. And that partially probably comes from the very first divorce I worked in. I remember sitting in the attorney's conference room, husband and wife were sitting there. They'd been married for a number of years. And the awful things that were coming out of that husband's mouth about the wife, I thought, how in the world were they ever married? How in the world could he ever say he loved her? And I thought, I can't do this job. I cannot, cannot listen to this. I cannot be a part of this. And at that moment, I thought, I can either walk away and not do any of this, or I can be there to help people through this. So maybe that is part of the empathy, knowing they're, they're going through that. They've got a lot of other struggles other than just the financial struggle. Yes, the, there is a lot of other struggles. As anybody who's in the audience who has been through a divorce knows, there's a lot of emotion that's going on, a lot of raw emotion that's going on, and the ability that through these type of negotiations, these types of conversations, the ability to take the, the emotion out and just work with the facts tends to go a longer way, but still having that empathy for that person, knowing that there's a they're coming to you, but there's a lot behind them that you might not be seeing that even there just by holding their hand or, or giving them a hug goes a long way. It does. And I think it's part of that too, seeing a litigated divorce and a very nasty litigated divorce. That's also led me to become very involved with a, a group in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that there's a collaborative divorce group. It's a group of attorneys, financial professionals, and mental health professionals, and in a nutshell, it is non-litigated divorce. You agree from the very beginning that this is not going to go to trial, it is not going to be litigated. If someone should, through the process, decide to litigate it, any parties that you've been using can no longer be involved in the divorce process. It's just a, it's a much nicer way of handling the divorce. It's easier on the parties, easier on the children. It's a lot more, everybody's a lot more forthcoming, and things tend to work easier. And this is what, again? It's called collaborative divorce. Collaborative divorce. Never heard about that one, but that's, that's interesting. It, it does sound like a kinder, gentler type of, uh, of, of divorce uh, versus the, the litigation, the nastiness. And, and when I think of litigation, the nastiness is, is surrounds a divorce, I go immediately to uh, wedding crashers, the opening scene, uh, where they're just calling each other these terrible names, but once they were able to take the emotion out of it and just stick to kind of the facts, things right. worked out. Right, and and not, not to get off subject, but in a collaborative divorce, you know, everybody that is involved, all the professionals have been trained. They have been through hours of training on this process. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody's working together. Yeah, maybe that's the way of divorce is we're working together towards a common goal, all the while knowing that we will be separated at some point, but at least being civil 
because in most cases, you've got children involved. Yeah, it does leave a scar on, on, a, on a lot of children and stuff. So to see mom and dad divorce in a kinder, gentler way. Yes. Hopefully that's the wave of the future. It, we are trying to make it that way. I would love <laughs> if everybody could do this. Of course, it doesn't work for everybody. Some people are just going to want to fight and be nasty and not be forthcoming, and that's just going to happen. But for those that it could work for, it's a much better way. And because you also have a financial person involved, you know, there's somebody there working as a neutral, working with both parties through some of the financial issues. Wow. I don't know about you guys, but I've now been schooled in the areas of tax, divorce, and, uh, you know, it's a very niche market, but it is a very, <laughs> like I said, marriage is a leading cause of divorce. And if you're thinking about going through a divorce or in the process of one, uh, just know that you might need a little bit more information. Um, I will have all the information if you're in Tulsa or if you're not in Tulsa on how to contact Lisa and, and her firm to maybe help you along and an investment in her may save you a lot of money in the long run. Lisa, once again, thank you so very much. I've enjoyed this conversation much more so than, than I thought when we first started because, of the, one, the fascination of your background and, two, how you're out there really truly have this passion in trying to help people. Which is, which is a great thing. So once again, thank you for being here. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. I greatly appreciate the opportunity and I love sharing what I'm passionate about. Cool. Well, Lisa, before we wrap up this uh, podcast, um, I like to uh, let my audience get to know the person just a little bit better. So I've come up with 10 quick kind of rapid fire questions I'd like for you to answer. Are you uh, up for this? Sure. Okay, she says that with not a lot of confidence. <laughs> no, no confidence at all. <laughs> By the way, just a full uh, transparency. I forgot to ask these questions when we were when I was in Tulsa and we were doing this face to face. So now we are doing it over uh, FaceTime. And when I asked Lisa what she was doing today, she said she was at work answering IRS notices, and she said that she can find a fun way to answer IRS notices, which absolutely made me laugh. So just a little <laughs> transparency, transparency of what's going on in, in her life today. And she's smiling and she's answering IRS notices. So, Well, yes, you, you have to find the entertainment value. Otherwise, it would just be a very mundane, boring day. You, I think you should write a column, an article, or a book on how, maybe that's the title of a book that you can get out, how to make IRS notices entertaining. Entertaining, yes. I wouldn't say fun. Entertaining, Entertaining. Yes. <laughs> Okay, first question. Chicken fried steak or chicken fried chicken? Both. Both. Okay, now, what's the... <laughs> I'm afraid to ask this, but <laughs> what's the difference between chicken fried steak and chicken fried chicken? Chicken fried steak, the meat is steak. It's beef. Chicken fried chicken, it's chicken. It's chicken, okay. They're just cooked the same way. They're, They're cooked the same way. Fried. And the reason why I asked this question, because on my trip to Tulsa, I got introduced to chicken fried steak at a restaurant that claims that they're the best in Tulsa. And quite frankly, it was very, very good. But both of them require gravy, right? Yes, absolutely. Can't have it without gravy. No. Then it's just nothing. No, you wouldn't eat it without gravy. <laughs> you wouldn't eat it without gravy. <laughs> then if, you, if it's served without gravy, you can use it to keep your table from wobbling. Absolutely. <laughs> What's your favorite movie? 
That's hard. Um, there's lots of them, but um, American Graffiti and Top Gun. American Graffiti. Wow. Okay. I, I get Top Gun. <laughs> there's not too many people, women, especially who say, oh, yeah, I really never liked Top Gun at all, especially that volleyball <laughs> scene. I really didn't like that at yeah, all. Yeah, I didn't really. No. Yeah. Yeah. My wife keeps, got, keeps that on a loop. Uh, who's your favorite actor or actress? Oh, Richard Gere. Richard Gere. And um, was it a few? Not a few good men. Uh, Officer and a gentleman. Yeah, but he was too young there. What's one of his more recent ones that you've seen? I absolutely can't remember at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> she, drew, she drew a blank. I did. Next question. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Cheers or family ties? Cheers. Halloween or Thanksgiving? Halloween. I knew that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, here's a good one for you. The Golden Driller or the Golden Arches? The Golden Driller. Of course. Absolutely. Of course. Golden Driller is a big statue in Tulsa, right, of a Golden Driller. Yes, and his name is Derek. He's Derek the Driller. Derek the Driller. Yes. It's like Thomas the Train. It's Derek the Driller. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. <laughs> Different. Uh, what's your favorite <laughs> boy band? <laughs> I don't know that I could have a favorite boy band. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Madonna or Eminem? Madonna. Madonna. And, the, <laughs> and the last question. What is... Outside of being on this podcast, <laughs> what is one item on your bucket list that you wish you could check off sooner than later? Oh, a trip to Alaska. A trip to Alaska. And that would be fun. Yes. See, that wasn't that painful at all, was it? No, it was much better than I anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> and we got a great laugh out of it. So, uh, once again, thank you for taking time. And we will get this put into the podcast so everybody can get also a good laugh from it. Thank you very much, Lisa. Thank you. I thought that was a very informative conversation. Lisa provided a lot of great advice in those divorce situations where the tax code, the lawyers, and the CPAs intersect. I'm sure you heard that the key skill she utilizes is the power of listening to gain a better understanding of the situation along with sprinkles of empathy. Lisa's contact information is as follows. Morrison Company, P-L-L-C, that's M-O-R-S-E, 6950 South Utica Avenue, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Phone number 918-749-1040. And her email is lisaandersoncpa at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you feel so moved, I would greatly appreciate it if you'd write a review on iTunes. I think Lisa would appreciate it as well. In episode 21, Greg Kozira, who is a versatile writer and speaker with extensive knowledge of valuable subjects from leadership skills to the science behind fracking. That's right, I said the science behind fracking. So until next time, use the principles of improvisation to get past your fear of public speaking.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.